Hello and welcome to a special episode of ICMA's Local Gov Life. I'm your host, Erica White. We just wrapped up the ICMA annual conference and it was amazing. Outgoing ICMA President Karen Pincus held a special session to highlight three amendments to the ICMA Constitution that members will be voting on in January. At their October meeting, the ICMA board voted unanimously to bring these amendments, which support our strategic plan priorities of expanding and diversifying the membership to our voting members. LocalGovLife was there to capture Karen's presentation as well as the audience questions. Let's get started. I'm Karen Pincus. I am the ICMA president this year. I am city manager from El Cerrito, California. I am going to be talking about ICMA specifically and what I referenced on Sunday, which are what ICMA as an organization has done to promote diversity and inclusion. I want us to all talk about this together and answer any questions you might have about what we're doing as an organization and what the executive board has done in order to try to increase diversity and inclusion in our profession, in our membership, and on our executive board to be more representative of, of all of our members and the process that we went through to get us to that point because it definitely was a long process. So 1974, the first task force on women in the profession, this is not a new conversation that ICMA has been having about increasing diversity and inclusion in the profession, particularly starting back then on gender balance. And one of the things that I was on the task force for women in the profession later on down the timeline, I think it was what, 2012, all those years later, that was convened by then ICMA president and only the second female ICMA president, Bonnie Zvercek, because she thought it would be a neat idea to take a look at that 1974 report that she had heard about back then, you know, oh, what did they say back then? And it was an interesting exercise looking at that. And about 13% of women in the profession were managers or 13% of the membership that were women in ICMA were at the chief executive level. So she decided to follow up with that when she became president in 2012. And you guys probably know this answer, but can you guess what the percentage was? 13%. That's a problem that she thought was a big problem, and so she convened the task force to start to look at that. But even along the way, one of the things we will get into a little bit later is the executive board designated in each of the American regions at least one seat on that board to be for a non-CAO. And when I say CAO, I mean chief administrative officer since we have all sorts of different titles. So for the purposes of today's discussion, a CAO is the chief executive, city manager, county manager role. There is one seat designated on the executive board in each region for a non-CAO, so it cannot be a chief. It needs to be an assistant, a deputy, anything, I don't like to say below, but anything of another type of uh, position. We have taken some steps. Since 2012, we also had a task force on strengthening inclusion in the profession. We adopted the strategic plan in 2017, which reaffirmed our values of diversity and inclusion, and that's not... I want to make a note of that. That's not a task. That's not a goal. It's not a strategy. It's a value. That means it permeates what we do. And so then over the last uh, two or three years, I've been on the executive board, and one of the things that we have undertaken is how we can do this better. So again, we can go as far back as the 70s with evidence that we have been you know, working on this as far as uh, inclusion in ICMA. If you read September's PM Magazine, 
We will actually go over some of what I talk about today. I have an article in there. There is a whole lot of host of articles on this topic, which written by some really wonderful people. So I really encourage you to check out PM Magazine. And then I'll talk a little bit more about what we did over the past year. So it was a mandate of our board. How do we take better action at this value of diversity and inclusion? If you look at the picture on the website of the ICMA executive board, it is still two thirds male. It is mostly white males, and I love white males. I would just like to have a lot of different faces on the board. Why? Because we have a lot of different faces in our organization, we have a lot of different faces in our membership and in our communities, and I'm very much a big believer in the whole you can't be what you can't see thing. So if you can see it, you can be it. Let's turn that around and make it positive. If you can see it, you can be it. So if you see more women on the board, if you see more people of color on the board, then someone in this crowd or someone in that crowd that I've been talking to might think, hey, I can do that. And then they will do that. I thought that once upon a time, so I want to spread that forward. So again, based on our strategic plan and vision ICMA, one of our mandates to make sure that we're looking to diversify our membership. So we established a board subcommittee on diversity, and that would specifically take a deep dive into what it is we needed to look at. We developed a plan to make sure that we're generating input from our members, and then we hired a consultant who specializes in how to improve diversity and inclusion on boards and in membership organizations across the country. And then uh, we worked to implement a process by which we would go and engage the membership and find out what they thought. So here's the methodology. Earlier this year, if you were on, you may have been on this, it was a, an online tool, an ideation session, they called it. It was different than, say, your typical webinar, your typical survey monkey. The idea was people were putting in thoughts on different concepts, and then they were voting on each other's thoughts. Like, did you agree with this thought, or did you agree with that statement? And there were some harsh statements on there both on the side that were very pro-inclusion and some that were not so pro-inclusion. It's anonymous, so sometimes people, I think, felt free to write some very candid statements. It was a session meant to build upon the thoughts and comments that were coming up. That was the National Online Focus Group. The sessions at the regional conferences, I actually moderated those. I've seen some board members and um, ICMA staff members in the room who worked with us Throughout the country, we had a session kind of like this where people would come and we would talk about what we were doing and then just get thoughts from the membership on a series of proposals to see what people thought. The workbook that's referenced there, we did one online. We did, uh, then we did some old-fashioned writing exercises. So the idea was that we were able to, again, it was anonymous and have people uh, just, again, the old-fashioned way, write down what they thought about the proposals. So those workbooks, here are the statistics. We had almost 700 of them. This was at 23 state association meetings and all of the regional conferences across the country. One of the things that we found out as a board is we're really playing some inside baseball here when you're talking about who gets to vote, who gets to serve on the board, who gets to sit on the committee that picks who gets to serve on the board. We know all that stuff because we've been there. The majority of the membership is like, what are you even talking about? 
And the reason that that matters is because we realize that's kind of a mystery on how people get on the board. We not only have to make sure that people understand that we need to diversify the board, but they got to understand how to get on the board in the first place. So that was a really, that was one big, huge kind of side note that came from all of this is trying to make sure we knew how to market the concept of even running for the board to our membership because it is a really big honor and it's a big responsibility and we sometimes struggle with trying to get people to volunteer to do it and now this is part of why because people don't know how so that also helped us have a conversation so we had kind of a Q&A back and forth at all the regional meetings and state association meetings and again some of these were uncomfortable conversations and, and I'll share like one story with you there was uh, one region that will go unnamed but it could have been any region, actually. I mean, the sentiment was there, but it was an example where someone asked, well, you know, we're doing all of this work. Don't we want this to happen organically? And that's a good thought, right? We do want it to happen organically. We do want this to be something that we don't have to think about anymore. The problem is it's not happening organically. It hasn't happened organically. We've done a lot of work, so we have to be more intentional about it. Now, can we get to that point? Yes, but since we're not there yet, this is what our proposal is. But it was a, again, there was, and I could see some people in the room going, did you just say that? And I saw other people in the room going, yeah, this is a hard topic to talk about, right? Because people get defensive. Their biases are sort of triggered, right? So myself included, I learned so much about myself through this process, how people might view me, how I view other people. So I suppose one of the themes is at the end of the day, we learned a lot about each other and even our own biases, as, as, as well-intentioned as some people tend to be, that is true of all of us. Members also asked us what the demographic breakdown of this, and this is a very, this was probably the most popular chart and one of the ones that I think had the most resonance in it. Voting members, aka full members, currently are chief executives, so CAOs, assistants or deputies or department heads that report directly to the CAO. So it's a, it's a pretty, you know, it's, a, it, it's the top category of all of our management jobs. Affiliate members are literally anyone else, and it can be anyone else, right? So it's not just department heads or management analysts or assistants too, although assistants too is a, is a weird one. I was a full member as an assistant too, but other assistants too aren't, weren't as high in the org chart in my organization that I was. So that's a weird one. So you can't, the title also is a, can be very tricky and a misnomer. But anyway, the thing about affiliate membership is you can also be in service to a local government. Again, analysts, um, department heads, interns. You can be a student. You can be a private sector member or a consultant. You can even be an elected official and join ICMA. You just can't vote. That has been the designation, that's the difference. But look at the demographics and here's where we're at. The full members are almost 80% male. 7,200 ICMA members that are full members, 80% of them are male. Then you look at people of color, Hispanic, African-American, and Asian, very, very low numbers. Here's the diversity, right? You're pretty much half and half as far as affiliate members. You're still low on the people of color, but it's certainly higher than the voting membership. So when the board took a look at this and the regions took a look at this, this you can't ignore this. The affiliates are where the diversity is. So if we're gonna diversify our membership, we have to reach out to that population somehow. When we talked about this though, 
So, okay, well, why don't we let affiliate members, because again, it's based on title, so why don't we let affiliate members into the voting category? Well, people did have some concerns, but the one that really stood out was that qualifications matter. So it can't just be an intern, right? I mean, that we got a ton of people saying, you know, you, if you're going to serve on the board, if you're going to vote on something that matters to a multi-million dollar global nonprofit, we do want you to have some experience. We do want you to have some sort of qualification to be able to do that. So what came out was when we tested this a little bit further was two to five experience in the profession with one to three years of experience in ICMA membership as minimum qualifications to vote. Now, lest you think that might seem low, may I remind you that if you join as a full member as a city manager, this doesn't matter. You could have worked in the private sector for 30 years, you join ICMA and boom, you automatically get the right to vote, right? But if I'm a, someone who works in the local government for, I don't know, five years and I've been in the business and I've been an ICMA member, I don't. That's where the disparity lies. So because, I don't like the word lower in the membership pipeline, but we'll go with it. I'm one of those people that views everyone as my colleague, so if you're a management analyst, it doesn't matter to me, you're still my coworker. Anyway, that's just an editorial comment. but. Again, there's no doubt that the diversity is in the affiliate membership. And so the thresholds that the board came to for leadership and being able to have what we felt was sufficient experience, again, based on the member feedback is what the member feedback would like to see, would be at least five years of experience and ICMA participation. Particularly, you can be an ICMA member. But it would be really helpful if you're thinking of serving on the ICMA executive board or taking some sort of leadership position that you participate in a committee or task force, and there's dozens of them for you to be able to choose from. So in summary, what we are here to propose is based on feedback, feedback, and more feedback. Not just board opinions, not just what I think, but what we heard. And we heard from well, it says there are more than 2,000 comments received. Those are, those are comments that we've received in the workbooks and online. All of us on the board probably talked to even thousands of more people. This was a big discussion at all of the regional conferences. This was a big discussion. I, I can't even tell you how many emails I got personally on this topic or people would talk to me about it. So we received a ton of member feedback over the past 10 months. But what we also know is that we have to make sure that we're communicating, this is why I'm here today, to try to do that, to communicate what we are trying to do and why we are trying to do it. And again, it's not just my thing, it's not just the board's thing, but this has been part of a process, that this journey that we've been on a really long time to hopefully get to the point where we don't have to talk about this anymore. But we're not gonna increase diversity for diversity's sake. We do wanna maintain our professionalism, we do wanna maintain the fact that to vote and to serve on the ICMA board, to take part in this membership, we do want to make sure that people have some, you know, some skin in the game. So here's the kicker. The, um, <laughs> it was interesting because I feel like everyone we talked to, again, I'm seeing nods by my colleagues, everyone we talked to wants to do something. They understand that having 80% of our voting membership be one gender is inappropriate. They understand that having single digit numbers of people of color in our membership is not right. We need to do something, we want to do something. And in fact, we heard from tons of state associations on what they're doing in their own states to try to do that themselves, which is again, necessary in where we began. So the desire to do something outweighs doing nothing. But again, 
qualifications matter. And, and I even heard from a few people that are like, look, I'm a woman. I want to be on the board, but I don't want you to pick me because I'm a woman. I want you to pick me because I belong there and I'm qualified and I'm good. And I say, yes, I agree with that. And so does pretty much everyone we talk to. So again, repeating what I just said, desire to make change is way higher than desire for no change. And like I said on Sunday, I've been in local government for over 20 years. I've been on the board as a vice president. I'm now on the board as a president. I've traveled all over the place and talked to thousands of people. And I can tell you, this is time. It is true that this desire to make changes has never been stronger. So what did we do as a board? We took all this information, we took all this data, and we refined it, and we talked about it, talked about it, talked about it a lot. And we came up with these proposals to put on the ballot in January for the full voting membership to decide upon. And here's what they are. First of all, the first one actually had very, very, very high support. At any time we proposed it, before we even went through like talking about it or asking people questions. So the regional nominating committees are those committees that are made up of members of every single state association in a region and members from some of our affiliate groups, such as our uh, counties, uh, NFBPA and LGHN, and what they do is they sit on a committee once a year during the regional conference and they interview the candidates for executive board and they choose the candidate to go on the ballot for votes. So the regional nominating committees are incredibly important in the board process. But up to this point, you had to be a full member to serve on that committee. Why that was an issue was because in some states, people might have been only affiliate members. This happened in California. He's assistant to the city manager who is an affiliate member, who's a president of a state association in a fabulous leadership position, couldn't serve on the committee. That seems like almost an, I don't want to say no-brainer because someone might have a problem with it, but I think universally everyone we talked to was like, oh yeah, that, that makes sense because why would you have to be a full member? If you've made it to the way of the president of your own state association, you obviously have some skin in the game. So we propose that any ICMA member in good standing, in service to a local government, so it can't be one of the interns, it can't be um, an elected official or a private sector member, it does have to be a member that serves in local government, can be appointed to the regional nominating committee. The other thing, reason that that matters is we want the regional nominating committees to be diverse as well. And so if it stands to reason that in ICMA the affiliate membership is the more diverse one, it's probably also true in the states as well. So a state president could appoint anyone in their organization if they're a state affiliate member to serve on the committee, which could also in turn help make the regional nominating committees more diverse and therefore also can promote more inclusion on the board. The second proposal is about voting rights. And so as I had indicated before, looking at how qualification mattered, the proposal would be then to extend voting eligibility to affiliate members in service, meaning they have to be employed who have been a member of ICMA and serving in a local government for five years. And they only get to vote if they're serving in a local government. So they can't go, rack up a couple years, leave, and then still vote. They can't do it. They have to be in service. The other thing that you should know is voting rights. What do you even vote on? You vote on members to the board, you vote on changes to the constitution, and you vote on amendments or changes to the code of ethics. And then proposal three, executive board diversity, to try to improve the makeup of the board. This would extend eligibility to serve on the board in that non-CIO position I described earlier to an affiliate member who has been a member of ICMA and serving in a local government for five years. 
So the two proposals for voting rights and executive board diversity would share the requirement for affiliate members to have the same qualifications and length of service. And that is on the table. And so at this time, I'd like to open the floor for questions. Hi, um, Jessica DeKine, good to see you, Karen, hi. Hi. I think one of the things that ICMA does super, super well is invite student in, students into the room. Um, I'm vice president of MMANC, we have a hard time with it. MPA coordinators turn over, hard to track. I a little bit feel like this conversation, which I think has been really open and helpful, feels overly bureaucratic. And it feels like you're welcome to the table, but you're not allowed to eat. I don't understand, I guess, why the things that they're voting on don't change the course of the profession, and I feel like, in ways that are like substantive. So I'm curious why qualifications matter. Can you talk a little bit more about how that conversation has gone and, and the minimum years of experience? Sure, sure. So again, ICMA is a multi-million dollar global nonprofit. I think it, that needs to be, to be really remembered. This isn't just a membership organization. ICMA does work around the world, has a $35 million budget. We do uh, work with USAID, that we are a grant operation where we go into places like Iraq and Afghanistan and in the Philippines to try to promote good local governance. We have centers in around the world, China, Mexico, Europe. That's just the international component. Besides all of the things that we do on the ground here, we are a thought leader. We are considered one of the big seven in Washington, D.C. that deals with local governments in addition to the U.S. Conference of Mayors, GFOA. This isn't just a membership organization. So I don't want to make that sound like I'm overstating it too much. But the point is... If you sit on the executive board, you are really making some serious decisions that affect millions of dollars and people all around the world. So again, having some skin in the game and having some experience is important and having, this is my second term on the board, I can tell you that is absolutely true. Not to diss the students, not to diss people who've been in the business for two years, but having sat in this position, I can tell you, if I had tried to be on this board with only two years of experience, I would have been in way over my head. So experience does matter, qualifications do, do matter. And again, that is not to diss those people. But the other thing is this, I want these people to stay in this business. <laughs> you know, I want all of us to, I want to retain everyone in our organization. And so I do want you to care, I do want you to be here, and I do want you to commit to ICMA. So yeah, five years actually is, is I think, a, a really good standard for that because it gives you enough experience to be able to have some real local government experience and exposure so that if you are able to get on the board, if you are able to understand what goes into serving on the board, it really makes a difference when you're sitting at that table. And I, again, I, I, and the bureaucratic thing, that kind of cracks me up because you're absolutely right, it does. Um, I am out to change the word bureaucrat from a bad word to a good word. Sometimes you need that. You need to have structure and process and bureaucracy. It's not necessarily a bad thing. And I think in this case, considering all that we have at stake, I really do believe that we're trying to do our best to, I don't know if you'd, maybe, maybe I would even call it a compromise. There were some people out there for sure that, that I know will not vote for this. I know that. I think we all know that. So 
there are some people on the board who might want students or interns to be able to serve on it. We got to meet somewhere in the middle, and this is a very real step to do that. So I hope that answers your question. Well, if I could uh, pick up on that, and there's a second part to the question that related to other things that uh, uh, the voting rights relate to, and in particular, the Code of Ethics. So Karen, mm -hmm. perhaps you could speak to the significance of the Code of Ethics for members mm -hmm. and also the process and, in fact, how important it is in terms of some of the activities of the board. The Code of Ethics, as you all know, that's why you're all members, that sets ICMA members apart from every other local government organization. Why? Not just because we subscribe to this high ideal of ethics, but because we hold each other accountable. And that is a huge, important issue. And I'm looking at the chair of the CPC. The CPC stands for the Committee on Professional Conduct. The Committee on Professional Conduct of the board responds to reports of ethics violations in our membership. So if you know or you hear of someone who you believe is violating the Code of Ethics, you call ICMA or you have someone call ICMA or you send a nice note and you let them know of this violation, ICMA opens an investigation. This is a very confidential, huge due process issue um, because it is confidential and you're dealing literally with people's careers. ICMA investigates that if it's found to be a violation of the Code of Ethics, a investigation is initiated at the state level to confirm it. If it's confirmed, it goes to the Committee on Professional Conduct. The Committee on Professional Conduct then makes a recommendation to the board of some sort of action. It can be a private censure where we don't publish your name, but we will tell you what you did wrong and don't do it again. And then we describe it in the ICMA newsletter, but we take out any details so that people are protected and their confidentiality is protected. But the point of doing that is we want people to read that newsletter and see that someone did this and it was a violation and, oh, don't do that. Then there's a public censure, which means we print your name and what you did. And we send a press release to your local paper and your city council. There's also a private censure and membership bar. I think that's pretty obvious what that is. My favorite one, and I say that with a very big smirk on my face, anyone remember the city manager of Bell, California? <laughs> So I was on the executive board, my first year on the executive board, when that exploded in California. That was, a, that was fun. Um, he was an ICMA member. Now, a lot of times you hear about these like, corrupt managers doing all this crap, and they're not ICMA members, and then we're mad because we can't do anything about it. Well, this guy actually was an ICMA member. He made a lot of money. He <laughs> could pay all the dues. The only good thing about that was the satisfaction that my board had in kicking him out forever. But that's what we did. And so he's in jail, which is even better. But I mean, the thing is, he made us look bad. And so we took action to make sure. I'm, I see you there back there, Charles. You were on the board with me when we kicked him out. So it is, it matters. That the, at the code of ethics is not just a piece of paper or a nice set of ideals that we aspire to. We hold each other accountable. And so making sure that affiliate members, not all affiliate members have to subscribe to all of this. If you're a full member, you have to describe, subscribe to every single tenant in the Code of Ethics. Depending on your position and depending on even sometimes your country, because some other countries have other um, political systems, so they, there are certain parts of the Code of Ethics that is impossible for them to comply with. But affiliate members, if you're, say, a private sector person or whatever, you, you don't have to comply with those parts of the code because it's 
it doesn't apply to you if you're not in service to local government. So that's why the in service to local government part matters, because you are required to then subscribe to all of the code tenets of the code of ethics. Therefore, you can sit in judgment of the others. And just as a side note, I kind of smirked a bit about the Bell California guy. That was an easy case. We hear cases all the time that are really, really hard. And the hardest part about sitting on this executive board is sitting in judgment of your peers. It's really hard. Sometimes they're, they can be judgment call cases. Sometimes they come to the board and plead to you in person. It's a very serious responsibility. So we just want to make sure that it's that, that people kind of understand that. And that's, again, some of the inside baseball that a lot of people don't know that this board does. So I just have a quick question. I appreciate the chance to hear the Q&A today and the education the other day as well um, and applaud the effort for diversity. So the question I have is, when you stratify for experience, does that change the diversity numbers of the affiliate members? I, when you put that five-year bar on there, does that number slide and I'm a member of other organizations where I can vote without the five years, but I can't be a board member without experience. So I'm just wondering if maybe that impacts that diversity number at all. You know, it's interesting. We didn't, I will admit we didn't do that deep of an analysis, but based on what we saw, because the affiliate membership, and again, I, I, I hate to generalize, but sort of the younger and less experienced you get, again, the more diversity is happening. Right now in the MPA schools, you can look. It's actually majority women. It's actually big time raising um, numbers in people of color. So just to remember, it's a sliding scale, right? So it's five years of experience from here on. So the people who are getting into the business now, maybe starting their career in five years, that's going to continue to slide up. So that was our, that was our thought pattern. This was the, the way that the board came up with a way to have enough experience to make people feel comfortable to vote for them because they are voted on by the membership. See, that's the other thing I think people forget. The nominating committee chooses a candidate, we put it on the ballot and half the time they run unopposed because we don't like elections and we don't want to, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to do that. But you, it is a vote of the membership. And if people did not want to vote for that person, they don't have to. Again, we, this was a, a bit of a compromise on our part, but just sort of kind of exposing how this all works, I think, has been something that we've thought about. But I, knowing that that sliding scale, it kind of digs down to be able to bring that up to the board level faster. I have a question about the membership of ICMA in general, the full membership. I'm curious, it's obviously not every CAO who's a member, and so I'm wondering if a way to help diversify the organization is look at the ones who aren't a member and if that's a more diverse group. And I'm curious if you could talk to if that's an effort that's happened or that piece of it. Because I think that's a big part of the pipeline potentially. You are awesome. I didn't even pay her to say that. Um, thank you for asking that question. That is also a huge outcome of this process that we learned is that you are absolutely right. Not all CAOs in our country are members. Why? We heard a lot about cost. We heard a lot about dues. We heard a lot about applicability, right? The board took that seriously. And while we couldn't address that within this, because this was something that we really wanted to get off the table first, I can tell you that that is a huge outcome. I heard, for example, in different regions of the country that there are people, say, in really small cities where their budget is really small. And so ICMA membership would be a much bigger portion of their budget than, say, mine would. So it's cost prohibitive for them. And you're right, that could increase diversity. It could increase gender balance at the very least. So 
that is absolutely something we are looking at next is, okay, so now that we've got our membership, looking at our membership first, how do we get more members to come in? You're absolutely right, spot on. And yes, that's next, so we're not done. But thank you for asking that. I wanted to ask you, uh, who are three role models, past and present, both male and female, that you have looked up to and led you to your position? Wow, that's a great idea. Okay, role models, past and present, have led me to my position. Well, my very first one would have to be my very first boss. That would be Dan Fitzpatrick. He is the recently retired manager of Rochester, New Hampshire. But when I worked for him, he worked in Oak Park, Michigan. And that's where I grew up. And um, he, I think he's won pretty much every ICMA award there is. Like he is a big, huge ICMA proponent. And so when I got there and I was an assistant to the city manager, he was like, you will join. And back then, for those of you um, who've been members a long time, you remember you had to have a you know, sign, people had to sign, you had to have like two signatures to be able to apply your membership. So I've been a full member actually my whole career. But anyway, he was, is, He's here at this conference. He's a huge mentor to me, a huge role model to me, and someone that I was absolutely um, just it, one, of, one of the reasons I'm standing here today. Um, how many of you know Pat Martell? Yeah. Do I even need to say why she's a role model? Um, she works in California. She's recently retired, and now she's an ICME um, Risk Coast Regional Director. I have watched her since I moved to California. She's a force of nature. And she's just a really cool person. And she's someone when I was a, you know, I got here in, or there in California and I was an assistant too. I made a lateral move because I moved from Michigan to California. I mean, come on. I took a lateral job. It was good to get there. But anyway, I'm city manager now, so it worked out. But um, even when I was a little, <laughs> little peon back there, um, she's one of those people who I learned from because she was always interested in making sure that students and interns and people new in the profession you could always feel like you could call her. She was there for you. And you could talk to her because she's very real. And so I feel like that she's, she's absolutely one of my big role models. So um, third role model would have to be my mom. My mom is a retired deputy city clerk of the city of Royal Oak, Michigan. She also worked in the city manager's office. So when I call her and like complain about a day at work, she like literally gets it. Um, but she's one of the people I admire most in the world because she, uh, my parents divorced when I was young and she went back to school at age 40, got a job, got it all the way up into the, like I said, deputy city clerk in city of Royal Oak and is retired and happy and living in Michigan. And she's just one of the strongest people I know. And so everyone connected to local government, but those are my role models. Thank you for asking. But interestingly, one of them, um, my very first boss was a man. And so I feel very, actually very fortunate because again, a lot of uh, people look up to role models who look like them or, or you can vision like them. And I'm glad that one of my mentors is, you know, not necessarily like me because I think we both learned from each other. So anyway, thanks for asking. Thank you for doing this. I think it is an awesome start. Um, you mentioned that when we look at our MPA students, they don't share the same demographics as this. I was blown away by the diversity in the local government management fellows this year. How is the board thinking about how we get that diversity into the pipeline and then promote it up? And how can we in this room help with that? So you know how they kept talking about that silver tsunami thing? That is actually happening. Take a look, I just looked, saw the newsletter came out in my email today. Take a look at how many manager jobs are open right now. There's a lot. We are coming. 
the retirements that were supposed to happen 10 years ago with the recession, they're starting to happen. I ran into a ton of people over this conference who are recently retired. It's happening. And so here's our shot. Here's our shot. Here's the shot for, for those of us. I just got promoted in December, so I'm ex a perfect example of that. Thank you. Thank you. My boss retired. Here I am, the first woman semi manager in the city of El Cerrito. So it's happening. It's now time for us to take our shot. So for those of us sort of on the periphery of getting up to that next step, let's do it and then bring everyone with you. That is our responsibility. It's the board's responsibility to promote it, no question. But it's everyone in this room's responsibility to make sure that you are not going alone. You are bringing people with you. Why? Because someone did that for you and now it's your responsibility to do it for them. But that is absolutely true and that's exactly what part of this is. Once we get people in, we want to keep them in. We want to you know, lure them in and keep them here. And so making sure people know how great of a business local government is, retaining them, and then encouraging them to be leaders. And another note, I don't know that if, if you were attracted to coming to this session, I have a feeling about what the population in this room might be, but let me just say and make sure you know and your peers know, let your people go to conferences. Let your people join ICMA and let your people do leadership things outside of their job. I think that is your biggest responsibility, that you are responsible for making sure if you're a leader, again, that you are bringing someone else with you. <laughs> I have four people here from El Cerrito, so I'm walking that talk myself. Hi, Karen. Um, thank you so much for being president. Your energy is so great, your vitality, and I really think you should have kept Tupac as your opening song every day. Um, I, I have two things that I wanted to ask you about, and I was going to do it in a certain order, but you just talked about the conference, and so I actually want to start with that and ask some questions. Um, of course, we all know that you can't be it unless you can see it. And one of the things that has jumped out at me at this conference especially, and it, it started percolating last year, is I have a two-year-old. And my world in coming to the conference is totally different now that I have a two-year-old. Um, what I do in my world is I bring my two-year-old, and so I bring my husband. <laughs> and my city doesn't pay for that. I have to pay for that. And so I, I'm thinking about um, there's a lot of efforts that the board is going through to diversify in terms of more women being involved and so forth. But it's very hard to be involved at the conference if you have a baby. And I didn't think about this three years ago because I didn't have a baby. Yep, right, right. Uh, and now that I'm seeing it and I'm experiencing it, there really are a lot of obstacles. And of course, as I'm sure many, um, I'm going to say young moms. I don't mean that I'm a young mom. I mean I'm a mom of a young kid Right, <laughs> right I'm not right. a young mom. Right. Um, but I'm sure we all have ideas about how the conference could be more welcoming and available to those of us. But I know that there are a lot of women that can't go. And for me to come to this conference or any conference, frankly, is a big production. Right. Is there a way to have that dialogue about what we can do to make the conference more welcoming and available for moms? Or, or I mean, it could be dads as well, mm -hmm. people that have young kids right. that, that have responsibilities. So that, that would be my first question is how do we start that dad, that dialogue? You just did. <laughs> awesome. No, and, and again, that I'm glad we have some ICMA staff in the room. Ellen is writing notes. First of all, when you get your conference evaluation, all of you, fill it out say that. If you see an evaluation committee member, I think they have a one of their ribbons, talk to them about that. But that is awesome and you're right. And I feel like we've been trying to, to think of all of those types of things, but we can always do better. 
And um, I want to say thank you as yeah. well. Last year, I used the lactation room. I'd never Good. even thought about it Good. before. I didn't even <laughs> think of looking for that at a conference. Yeah. But I looked because I was concerned, and there it was. Mm -hmm. And that was amazing. So great. I, I appreciate those kinds of things. Good, good. It's really good. great. So whatever else we can do, and well, I know you, so you can always email me, but you could always email me and give me some ideas. I will happily pass them along to our conference staff. We are really looking for as many ideas as we can to make this experience good for everybody. And that is, that is a really great point. But you want to know what? Also, bring a baby. I mean, they might be bored. They might fall asleep. But I've seen, I've been to some conferences <laughs> where people have, no. <laughs> so, we, you know, but anyway, I, I, I want us to be a family-friendly I'm a family-friendly culture in my organization, and I, I, I think that we can make sure that that experience is good for everyone. That's a great point. I think it's great because, frankly, this is my favorite conference. I've gone to a lot of conferences <laughs> over my career, and the ICMA National Conference is, is by far the best one I go to, so it, it matters to me a lot. Um, my second thing that I was going to raise is you talked a lot about the black box of what happens to get on the board, and <laughs> I, I'm so appreciative that you're trying to push more information out there because people don't know how exactly does that magic happen. Right. Um, and so I just want to offer that maybe there are a couple of other black box areas that I know. I've been an ICMA member for, I think, over five years now. Um, I am a city manager, so I'm a full member. Uh, but there are things that I don't understand that, that I still don't quite get. How do you get involved in ICMA? How do the committee assignments work? Um, other than this annual conference, what is it that we can do to connect? And, and maybe demystifying some of that would also be a helpful black box to get people um, that are maybe more diverse and don't already understand how it goes and don't have a mentor that's you know pulling along uh, could be helpful. That's great. So the first and foremost thing that we have tried to do in the last... I don't even know how long has the regional conference has been going on, like five to 10 years? It's, it's somewhat new. So we're doing these regional conferences, again, in each region of the United States, and we try to move them around you know, to in, within the region so that more people can come, kind, positioning it as sort of a mid-year conference or a mini-conference. So if you can't come to the ICMA conference for whatever reason, it's a big expense, it's a, usually somewhere across the country, whatever, this could be something that's more affordable, easier to get to, but still has good content that you'll be able to do all of the friend-making, networking, and, and educational sessions. So, so the regional conferences, we've really been trying to up our game on those, but also with the state associations that everyone belongs to. So we've been trying to really strengthen our, affiliate, our affiliations with our state associations. So in California, we have a thousand state associations. Um, we're very vast and it's a weird setup, but we have um, a couple of uh, local government management associations that, um, where are you, Jessica? There you are. Um, are you president this year? Next year, she's president next year of the, the Municipal Management Association of Northern California. There's also a Southern counterpart that I'm not allowed to be a member anymore because I'm now a city manager, but um, it's, anyone who's not a city manager that works in local government. I'm an honorary member now, so it's really fun. But when I got to California and I was an assistant too, I joined that association as well as ICMA because it was a really fabulous peer group. They are affiliated with ICMA and they are affiliated um, in a way to make sure that we're promoting each other's conferences. So they have an annual conference every year. Um, there's a state association for managers that has a conference every year. So we have really tried to make those connections with ICMA and all of those affiliates. Um, MMASC, my friends standing in the back, were involved in SC once upon a time. There's a former president standing back there. So, um, so making sure that 
ICMA is taking the opportunity to connect with the states and any other affiliate associations within those states to, I like that, open the black box and talk about how to get involved, get on a committee, be in leadership in one of those associations so that you have the chance to affiliate with us directly. So, you know, you have the president of MMANC here because she's the president of MMANC. So being in leadership in your state or affiliate associations also helps connect you to that. So, but again, we can always do better. And that is just, I guess, what we're committing to is making sure that we know that this is important and we're not stopping here. Someone who said it was a great start. It's a great start, and start is very operative word here. So I've been affiliated in three states, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and Texas. Rhode Island, our association would sit at one table. <laughs> and, and, but the biggest states, you have membership, and that membership, Texas City uh, Managers Association, you were at our conference, probably yep. about 500 people oh, there. Oh, yeah, it's huge. So, but, and the issue is the numbers are the same. Right. It doesn't change, so the message has to really be pushed down to them. And we're not, we're really not that much different from corporate America. I mean, I had, you know, I always said I was a dumb one of the, me and my ex, and she should have been a VP. And had she been a man, she would have been a VP in technology. It's just, I mean, I, that, right. that was a situation. And the other thing, I have a, a, a colleague, 50 years old, she's been a director in a, a municipality for 20 years. And she couldn't come to the conference, so we really need to help minorities and, and women get, get to the conference. Absolutely, absolutely. And upping our scholarship game is one of the things we're also working on, particularly with respect to underrepresented groups. But what you said is actually really notable. It is absolutely true that our profession is not alone in this arena. I mean, you look at you know, the Fortune 500s and how many women are there, what, four? It's disgraceful, frankly, across the country that we have so much underrepresentation at such high levels of leadership. It is disgraceful, I'll just say it. But here we are in this profession. See, we have a chance to turn that around. We have the chance to be the industry, the profession that sets the standard for this. That's what I'm excited about because we're doing something about it and we can show it. So, I mean, I'm the fourth woman president of ICMA for the very first time, I'll say this tomorrow, so spoiler alert, for the very first time in our history, we're gonna be followed by another woman. That's a big deal. And we need to celebrate our successes, recognizing that we're not done. But you're right, I wanna be the industry that sets the standard. Go public sector. <laughs> Let's go. Once a cheerleader, always a cheerleader. I can't help it. Did y'all look at uh, ICMA providing more training on uh, cultural competence, diversity, and inclusion? Because I looked at your slide on the, uh, the voting members there, and it looked like the age, it was the median or the average was 50-something. And I think people in that age group probably uh, remember affirmative action and quotas, and they may be trying to equate that to diversity and inclusion now, which those are two different things. And diversity and inclusion can be a, a good thing for the organizations where some of the stuff in the past hasn't been. And even at this conference, I think people are confused about culture because uh, a few of the sessions talked about hiring for culture. And a few people asked, well, if we're a diverse organization, how can we hire for culture? And I think they were, <laughs> uh, they get a, a lot of it's, there's a lot of confusion, I think, for a lot of people. So it seems like if educating the people and they really know about the issues, that seems like that would be easier. Because these things are, if, if you 
are knowledgeable of diversity and inclusion, then these things shouldn't be a debate. It's an easy answer. Right. So. You, you know, it's funny. I, I read an article, and I don't, it might have been in like Harvard Business Review or something, that that actually companies that have done diversity and inclusion like trainings actually it tends to backfire it actually tends to there was did anyone read that does anyone know what i'm talking about it was like this thing where you're going toward a certain sort of demographic and and if you don't do it right it doesn't work right that was kind of the the gist of the article is is, is that you have to do it right that people rate these trainings so poorly because they're not done right they don't get it they don't like it they uh, they associate it with something really negative because at first i was like Tch. But then I thought, you know, know your audience, right? You need to be mindful of what that is. What we had tried to do this year, being on the planning committee, for example, is kind of bake that in. Again, I don't, diversity and inclusion to me is not a goal. It's not a task. It is a value, right? So it needs to underlie everything we do. Making sure, for example, the keynotes were gender balanced and women of color. We did that, I wanted to make sure that that, so when you're looking at a keynote, now the keynote today, I thought she was outstanding and a really nice, genuine person besides. And the fact that she was a woman of color to me was so excellent because again, you see it. So everyone is seeing that. We're not just seeing the same demographic speaking over and over and over. When you start having these types of things and you bake it into, it's not a, diversity isn't a track. It's part of all of the sessions that we do, right? So I think that sort of shifting the paradigm a little to make sure that it's not a goal we're trying to achieve, even though it is, we want gender balance, we want more people of color, we want underrepresented groups represented. It's not something that we're, we ever are gonna be done with. Okay, cool, we checked that box off. Cool, we've got that person, that person. That's not what it's meant to be. We're meant to be representative. We're meant to be inclusive. Diversity and inclusion are two different things. The end game is supposed to be inclusion because you do want to invite someone to the table and invite them to eat. Was that what you said, Jessica? Um, so yeah, I mean, it's not just enough. So I think that that is something that we always just can continue to look for when we're offering our sessions, when we're offering our trainings, when we're making sure who is speaking, that we're very intentional about who we are and what we say and who is saying it. So, but that's a really good point, and we can, again, continuous improvement. We can always do better and, and, and hear that and, and take it and move along with it. It seems to me that one of the issues, and, and it's very difficult for us to deal with this particular issue, but one of the issues why CAOs versus assistants or assistants to our department heads has a lot to do with the elected officials who make decisions. You're so right. And hi, I haven't seen you all. How are you? Um, Yes, you're absolutely right. We have talked about that, like pairing with NLC in California, where you and I used to work together. Um, the League of Cities, where um, the, um, the League of California Cities is our municipal league, and there is a city manager's department. There's a mayor and council members department uh, working together with the League of California Cities board to have a discussion about diversity and inclusion because it's, again, it's been very uncomfortable, and they're focusing on more bigger policy issues, but it's like if you're looking across all of these board members and here you are all, you know, one, one demographic, that's exactly right. So that is absolutely true. And I think there's also a missing piece in there too, is that what I would actually like to start thinking about, spoiler alert, we, we might talk about this, this is something totally different, but I also think it's the recruiters as well. Because you've got a lot of recruiters out there who have one goal in mind and that's to place someone. And they may or may not have the goal in mind of being diverse or inclusive. So 
How many women do you place? How many you know, people of color do you place? Maybe we need to start shining a spotlight on how the recruiters are doing. But I think that you're absolutely right. And again, I think that what our responsibility in that light is, is making sure that the people who are ready to move into those positions now that all of these people are retiring, so who's ready to move in? If you're gonna get 50 applications and 49 of them are women, boy, would you look stupid if you reject them all, right? So we need to make sure that we're ready. Well, we are ready, we know we're ready, but we need to make sure that we're, we're taking action ourselves. So that's, it's kind of a, you know, we need to make sure we're prepared to do that and that we're preparing people to do that. So that when the applications come into that city council, it's a mixed bag and not just one kind of person. Okay, well, I just wanna say thank you. And for those of you who are full members, you know, it's, it's weird to, you know, consider, you know, because I have a, actually have a ballot uh, measure happening at home and I'm not allowed to say vote yes because of, you know, I'm a city employee. But I think in this case it's okay. Please vote yes. Um, this is something. This is action. This is real. This is intentional. It is only a start and I recognize that. But because we're not done and I know this board knows we're not done, this is just a start. It's not the end. This is not the last thing we will be doing this is what we're going to start with, and I really hope that you support it. I hope that you can speak to your peers to support it. And I do invite you, if you or someone you know has questions, concerns, comments, my email address is everywhere. Please email me directly or any of your board members that work for you in your regions. We want to hear from you and we want to be able to answer your questions. And I hope I've alleviated any concerns or solved any questions for you that you may have had, but please feel free to reach out to me at any time. And again, I really hope that you and the membership are supportive of this initiative. We got work to do, but we're on our way. Thank you all for being here. That's our show for today. Thanks so much for tuning in to this special episode. If you'd like to learn more about the 2020 amendments and all of the other work ICMA members have been doing to advance diversity and inclusion in the profession, as well as the association, please visit icma.org topics equity inclusion. Thanks for listening to this episode of Local Gov Life. See you next time.